Hey, you guys. How are you? Good morning. Yes, is it still morning? Good. Um, did you guys like the... Uh, the RPM video, that was, <laughs> that was pretty good. Um, you guys, th- about a year ago, Cornerstone did a series uh, for married people um, that uh, if you were here for that, even if you weren't married, it was one of those that you walked away with with just a ton of um, uh, amazing information and what God has to say. Really, there were specifics about relationships and all sorts of things that were so applicable even if you weren't married. This one, although it's targeted more at dating and singles, it's going to be another one of those that you uh, will, will get a ton out of, even if you're already um, married. And uh, so I'd really encourage you, you don't have to like check out for the next three weeks. You can, you can uh, instead just totally dial in. You guys, um, I have developed a, uh, a bad habit. Um, and uh, it, it's really bad. Um, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to overcome it. Um, I know that I shouldn't be doing it, but the problem is I really, I really like it. Um, it brings me a happiness that I just can't quite explain. And uh, I, I could probably get arrested for it, certainly ticketed. Um, Anna can't stand that I'm doing it. It has great potential to hurt my family, to hurt other people. And yet, um, I I really enjoy doing it. Um, Let me confess. Um, I really like uh, taking our stroller up the escalator at the mall (laughs) with Braddock in it. There are signs everywhere that say, don't do this. I've seen them bust other people for doing it. But you guys, it's so much fun. I, I, I really like it. The first time was just out of necessity. I couldn't find the elevator. I didn't have time to get to the other. So we're just, we're going up. And you guys, I mean, I got them on. and The whole ride up, my excitement was escalating, which must be why they call it an escalator. But I got to the top and I'm like, sweet, let's do it again. We went back down and we rode the thing up again. But people are throwing me looks like, would you look at this guy? Look at that man. What nerve he has. So unsafe carrying his baby up the escalator. I mean, hateful looks just being fired in our direction. Um, I, I now make special trips to the mall just to take him up the escalator in it. What I really want to do is go back uh, with the stroller, but put like a baby doll in there and then accidentally let go about halfway down and just, just to watch people's reactions. You guys, I'm bad. I'm, I am not right. Um, but I'm a pastor, so we have to like invent ways of being bad that aren't really that bad just to, just to keep up with you guys. And, uh, just kidding. If you only knew. You guys, what, what constitutes a good person? Really, what constitutes a good person? Is it the absence of bad stuff in your life? Or is it the presence of a whole bunch of good stuff? Because if that's it, then uh, what what is bad stuff? 
And who are you to tell me what's bad and what isn't? Because what might be bad to you might not be so bad to me. And then what is really good stuff? And who are you to tell me what's good and what isn't? Because what might be good to you might not be that good to me. When it comes to the arena of Christianity and God and heaven, there's a lot of thought, a false belief that just says, if I do enough good stuff, that that's going to be what gets me to heaven. And I don't know where the breaking point is. I don't know where it flips flops over. I don't know when, when the pearly gates open for you. I don't know if like the good quotient is at like 27 and then someday some of us are going to die. Uh, we needed 27 good things on our list, but we get there and they're flipping through the pages. Oh, darn it. 26 and a half. You were so close. Sorry. I don't, I don't know. Or, or the bad things. I mean, how many bad things? You, that'd just be a bummer deal where you go, oh, well, you needed to, you could only do four bad things, and I'm sorry, you did five. And uh. You guys, at what point would that be? Where, where does it go from good to bad, and what, what, what defines a good person? You guys, what is the standard? Fortunately and unfortunately, the standard is God. And God's word. And so for us to even begin to think, uh, if I do enough good stuff or avoid enough bad stuff, that's just wrong altogether. Because when we compare ourselves to other people, then that's easy to do. But when we compare ourselves to God and his word and his standard, now that blows everything up. It changes absolutely everything. My hope this morning um, is, is to allow you to escape from two lies, two lies that are within the church and then full on outside of this church. And you guys, these lies are a matter of life and death. The first lie concerns what happens after you die. And the second lie concerns the life that you're living right now. Both lies are wrapped around, though, probably the most dangerous phrase that I think can come into our lives. There are three dangerous words that, when linked together, become a very dangerous phrase, and it is this, on my own. That is an incredibly dangerous phrase if you're trying to figure out life or Christianity. And today I'm just hoping that God will shed some light on a couple lies that a lot of us have bought into. And he goes, I'm going to bring the gospel message straight to you today. And I shouldn't have to apologize to, to you for that, but for some reason I feel a need to. Um, we're all about Jesus and the gospel is the good news of what he's done for us. But I've just, uh, some of you may have heard that. And undoubtedly in this room, majority of you heard the gospel but just a couple weeks ago, there was somebody that was upset at me at Canberra, our Thursday night deal, because they've heard me preach the gospel three times this last year. And then they were also upset that I get emotional and pretty passionate every single time I preach the gospel. And I'm like, 
I was dead. I was lost. And then I'm found. I've got this God of the universe that wants to dive into a relationship with me and save me from all sorts of horrible things and then prepare an amazing place for me. How do I not talk about that? How do I not get excited about that? That is the hinge point, the core of what Christianity is about. And I care for all of you that already have a relationship with Jesus, but you better believe that this church cares for people that don't, and we're willing to say something about it. And so I do hope that those of you that already have a relationship with Jesus can be on board with that this morning, that maybe you would walk away going, "Ah, I heard that a little differently this morning, and maybe that will help me tell somebody else about Jesus. Maybe it's not for you this morning, but what is going to equip you to tell somebody else? Or those of you that wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you're just scoping this thing out. Maybe you'll hear something that is going to be a little bit different. Maybe there are lies that maybe you've bought into or you didn't know were lies, and then light is going to be shed on that this morning. But the two lies are this. Lie number one, I can get to heaven on my own. And lie number two, I can live the Christian life on my own. The first one is huge. A lot of us think that we can just get to heaven on on our own. Translated, if I'm good enough or if I void enough bad stuff, then that's going to do my check off. That's going to allow me in. How could they not let me in based on this list that I did over here and uh, stuff over here that I avoided? I can do it on my own. Well, we got to wrestle with what God's standard says, if that's the case. Here's what God's word says about that lie. John chapter 14, verse 6. Familiar verse. Jesus himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am the way, not one of many, not one of 18, not a better way, but the way. I am the only way. You want to get to heaven? You want to get to God? You want to get to the Father? You're coming through me. You want to experience life at its fullest and it's coming through me. I'm the way and the truth and the life. And you can't do this on your own. You don't get the way. You don't get the truth. You don't get the life on your own. And so Jesus makes a pretty bold claim. He's saying, I, I'm it. I'm the deal. I'm the man. I'm the son of man. I am God. So you, you want to get to know the father? You have had kind of a shady picture of the father until me, but now you can see him in all fullness. All you got to do is look at me. Get to know me. Because I'm one with the father. He's making this claim that he's God. It was huge. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's over here being perfect. God's over here living the Christian life every single day. Perfectly, by the way, thank you very much. And we're over here being unholy, unrighteous, messed up, not living for him, going our own direction, buying the lie that I can do all this on my own. And God's over here going, whoops, no, you can't. There's this sin thing in between us. There's this horrible problem because God is a perfect God, a fair God, a holy God, and he can't stand sin. He hates it. And so he will do whatever it takes to deal with sin. 
And he can't just look at child molesters and rapists and people who lust and uh, Hitler and all these things and just go, ah, whatever. Sin, it's no biggie. Just, yeah, come on in. I don't care. That's not God. So he has to do something about it. So we're over here falling short of the glory, the woohoo of God over here. And it just seems like a lost cause. If that were the end of the story, this would be bummer, bummer days. But Romans 6.23, it gets a little worse and then it gets a little better, says, but the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So we're over here falling short of the glory of God, really going our own direction on our own. God's over here being perfect and holy. And then it goes on to say what we deserve for us being on our own and going our own direction is death. The punishment that we deserve is death. And you guys, in the Bible, the word death always means separation. But there's two kinds. First, you'll be separated from your body. You will breathe your last breath and you will take a different form Then you'll be separated from this earthly body. Then there's the possibility that you would have a second death, a worse death, a more severe death, a more intense death. And that is a separation not from your body, but from God. And he doesn't want you to be separate from him now or for eternity. But once we get to the eternity part, it's going to be too late. So we better figure out what we're doing with it right now. Better figure out what what it is that you really believe and whether this is the truth or not. Because the reality is we've been talking about this. When you make a decision, we know that that gets us a certain outcome. Duh. We've been talking about it. But the kind of the new thinking is, well, why do I keep making the same decisions and then getting kind of the same outcomes? It's because our decisions are determined by our beliefs. So if you go to a belief that you can do life on your own, well, that's going to influence your decisions and that's going to get you your outcomes. But if you go, I can't get to heaven on my own. If that's your belief, well, that's going to change a whole bunch of your decisions and definitely your outcomes. So we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What we deserve for that is is death. But then it says, but the gift of God is eternal life. At some point, God is looking over here going, okay, well, we got to fix this. And I love Romans 5, 8. It says, but God demonstrated his love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're over here, yet sinners, still sinners, falling short of the glory of God sorts of people. God's over here, and he initiates. He takes the first step. He jumps in the car and takes the drive to us. It's not like, whoa, I wish I could have a relationship with God, so I'm going to figure out a way to get over to him. No, we don't do that. God makes this first step toward us. He is already in pursuit. We might be kind of searching and looking, but the moment that we even turn toward him, we will find that the God of the universe has already made provisions. He is full on in pursuit of you and me, despite that sin issue and that huge gap. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God looked and said, we need to take care of this issue. What you did deserves death. And so what I'm going to do, I I don't want to see you separated and go through that separation. What we're going to do is allow my son, Jesus, 
to go through that separation, to go through that death, to take the punishment that you deserve, that I deserved. And then you will get to escape. You will get to go free. This is huge. In the Old Testament, they used to do these animal sacrifices as a symbolic ceremonial way to appease God, for his wrath to be poured out on these animals. So every time you felt guilty, every time you screwed up, every time you made a mistake, then it's confession, it's all this forgiveness that needs to happen. You've got to come, you bring your best animal, you offer it up. They kill it ceremonial, symbolically. The animal took the wrath of God. And then you got to go on for a little while longer. At some point, God goes, that's enough. I was giving you a picture of what I was going to do. It had place, it had value, but that season is done. We're going to give a sacrifice to you once and for all. And no more lamb. So I'm going to give you the lamb, capital L. His name's Jesus Christ. He's my son, by the way. He's going to come down and take the punishment that you deserved once and for all. He's holy, he's perfect, so he can take it. And he's going to hang on a cross for you and for me. This is what the Bible says. So what are we supposed to do? Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And then believe that God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. There's two issues there. There's the lordship thing and then the believing God raised him from the dead thing. Because we got to see, maybe there's a loophole here that we can get to heaven on our own. Maybe if Jesus isn't who he said he was, if there is another way uh, and, and it's like our way, then, you know, let's just bail on this. But if this turns out to have some evidence to it, then maybe Jesus is who he said he was. Maybe then that rearranges absolutely everything for us. There's a lot of people that don't think that Jesus is Lord. A lot of people that don't think that he's God. Um, they didn't think that back then. But here's the deal. A lot of people go, you know what happened? Jesus lied about being God. He was a liar. He wanted to be cool. He wanted to be like, look at me, I'm God. Hang out with me. I mean, what better way to get your friends to like you than to tell them that you're God? And... Uh, so he goes parading around and let's ignore the miracles and stuff that he did for a minute because we can't really explain those if he's not God. But we'll come back and just say, okay, you're not God, you're lying about it. Here's the big problem. He died for a lie. And a lot of you know that was not a very pleasant experience. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst criminals of the day. And undoubtedly he'd seen that, familiar with that. When he got crucified, this was a pretty brutal experience. The night before this happens, he is so overwhelmed with stress that the Bible records that he sweat blood. That's a medical condition called hematidrosis. And that just means that when you get so stressed, your body releases chemicals that break down the blood vessels in, in your sweat glands so that when you sweat, blood literally comes out. A side effect, though, is that your skin becomes incredibly sensitive to the touch, like the worst sunburn you've ever had. This is the condition of Jesus' skin as he goes into the beating and crucifixion that next day. They flog him, rip his back to ribbons. His heart is beating at triple the rate just to send blood through his body as quickly as it's being lost. 
They parade him up to Golgotha, the place of the skull where they're going to crucify him. They pull those arms apart, drive spikes through his wrists, piercing the major nerve that sends feeling out to your hands. You ever hit your elbow real bad on something? You got the same nerve that goes right through your wrist there. When they drive that spike through the wrist, it would be something like taking a pair of pliers, clamping down on that nerve in your elbow and twisting. They go through his feet or his ankles. They upright the cross as it falls down. His shoulders separate from their sockets. And now to fill his lungs with air, he's got to push up off that spike going through his feet, slide his back that's been ripped to shreds up against the rough wood of that cross, and then collapse back down again. And finally, when he speaks up, he looks out over the crowd and he says, Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they're doing. And then he breathes his last. A Roman soldier comes up and stabs him through the side with the spear, right through the heart. The Bible records that blood and water came out. It's a classic sign that you've pierced the pericardium. It's a sack of fluid around your heart. They take him down. They wrap him in this mummy-like wrap with spices. It gets pretty heavy and hardens. They put him inside a tomb, roll a big rock in front of that, and post Roman soldiers out front of that to protect the the body. Nothing can happen to this body. Because Jesus had been making claims that he was God, that he was going to raise from the dead. So if he does, that will prove that he is who he said he was. So they tell the Roman soldiers, nothing happens to this body. If it does... You're going to be killed as the guard. So they got some invested interests there. So, Jesus is a liar about being God. My biggest problem, how many of you would die for a lie? It just doesn't make sense to me. Because if you're like me, the moment that they come to me and they go, dude, if you keep uh, talking like this, you're going to be crucified. I'd be like, oh, kidding. Sorry. <laughs> Ooh, I didn't, this was a big joke. Sorry, I just was, you know, trying to have some fun. So, yeah, let me go. Of course, he would. He, there's no way you go through that. Did you know that all but one of the disciples were killed for their belief in Jesus? Peter crucified upside down for his belief in Jesus. These guys that got to walk with him and see him every single day in and out in quiet moments and public moments knew that he wasn't lying so much so that they themselves allowed themselves to be killed for their belief in Jesus. So if he's not a liar, then people go, well, he was a lunatic. He was crazy. He was just a total whack job and he thought he was God. There's a problem with that all throughout. The guys that hung out with close, closest to him don't record any of that sort of thing. He'll say some outlandish things, but when you profile him psychologically, he's not doing things that, that are traditionally mentally unstable. In fact, psychologists today say that if you just followed the teachings of Jesus, if you just did what he said, you would be mentally and emotionally stable. How does a crazy person go around teaching everybody else to be mentally and emotionally stable? Again, it's possible, not likely. So if he wasn't lying and he wasn't a lunatic, maybe he is who he said he was, which is Lord. And if he's Lord, and he says, the only way you get to heaven, the only way you get to God is through me. That means I can't get to heaven on my own. 
You go, okay. The Lord thing is huge, you guys. Because what, uh, what does it really mean to confess your, your mouth that he's your Lord? This is not just, I believe in the concept of you so I can get that ticket to heaven and then I'm going to go do my own thing. No, Lord means master. It means ruler. It means controller over everything. It's kind of like this, and I've, I've talked about this before. It's kind of like if you were driving down the road and you saw Jesus hitchhiking. And you're just, whoa, drove right by. Whoa, that was Jesus back there. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? No. You're driving down the road. You see Jesus hitchhiking. You pull over. You pop the trunk. And you're like, hey, Christ, just jump on the back there next to the spare tire, kind of cram in. And here we go. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? No way. You're driving down the road. You see Jesus hitchhiking. You pull over. You let him ride in the back seat. And you're like, oh, sweet. Jesus is cool, right? You can listen to my music and feel the air conditioning. That's good, right? At least you're going the same direction I am. You should be happy, shouldn't you, Jesus? All right, here we go. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? No. Not even if you were driving down the road, you saw Jesus hitchhiking, and you pull over and you'd let him ride shotgun. He's not the Lord of your life. Not until you were driving down the road, you saw Jesus hitchhiking, you pull over, you pull the keys from the ignition, you get out of the driver's seat, you hand the keys to him, and you say, you drive, you take me where you want to go, because you proved that you were trustworthy when you died on that cross. So I know I can't get where I'm going without you. I know I can't even drive without you. So here we go. You're the Lord. You drive. You take me where you want to go. Then and only then is he the true Lord of your life. What about the second half of that Romans 10, 9? You confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord. Believe that God raised him from the dead. People go, okay, I'm on board with you to now, but you really expect me to buy this God raised him from the dead thing? Yep. Here's why. The other options are silly. You guys, there are so many weird options. There's an option that um, Jesus had a twin brother and they pulled the old switcheroo. There's an option that says, uh, yeah, they go. The disciples show up that Sunday morning. They peek in. Whoa, tomb's empty. The Bible records that the cloths that Jesus was wrapped in are folded up off to the side. They look in. Yes, he's God. It's so cool. There are people that go, you know what happened? No. Disciples went to the wrong tomb. He wasn't God. He didn't raise from the dead. The disciples went to the wrong tomb. You guys, the huge problem with that is, is if they had gone to the wrong tomb, all the Roman soldiers would have had to do, all the religious Jewish elite would have had to do, would have been, no, you idiots, you went to the wrong tomb, he's right here, look, oh yeah, Christianity would be dead, and you and I wouldn't be here today. They didn't do that. But there are people that go, that's my belief system, and that's influencing their decisions, and it's getting them a certain outcome, but it's a lie. Like people that say uh, Jesus wasn't God. He didn't raise from the dead. Actually, he never died. This is called the swoon theory. When he's hanging up on the cross, he doesn't die. He just faints. So at some point, he's hanging up there on the cross. He's been beaten within an inch of his life. He's been crucified. He's hanging there. And then at some point, he just goes, Wow, kind of lightheaded. Roman soldier comes up, spears him through the side, take him down, mummy wrap, in the tomb, rock in front, soldiers out there. At some point, Jesus, three days later, in the tomb. Oh, I must have passed out. (laughs) 
breaks out of the mummy wrap, rolls the rock aside, overpowers these Roman soldiers after being beaten. He's just a dude at this point, so whatever. He's got the karate chop, or he just showed him the hand, and they're like, wow, and then ran away. I don't know what. Talk to the hand. (laughs) He didn't faint. He was dead. Personal favorite, though, is that the disciples came and stole the body. They wanted to continue the lie. They wanted to continue this whole charade. Again, a charade that they were going to die for here in months and years to come. And so, again, the Bible showed that they went in, tombs empty, and the deal, the closets wrapped in and folded up off to the side. So at some point, the disciples are coming in to steal the body. All right. John, you get the big ugly guy right there. Peter, I think you can take him. He looks kind of wimpy. All right, let's go. And they go for it. Over these fishermen, tax collector dudes, overpower these Roman soldiers. They roll the rock aside. They rush in. They got to get in and get out. They go for just just about to reach Jesus' body. And one of them goes, wait a minute. I got an idea. Let's steal the body naked. Ew. Well, that's what they would have had to do because the Bible records the claws were folded off, off to the side. And so they had to spend time. Let's unwrap the body and let's fold the claws and put them off to the side. We don't leave a mess for the guards in the morning. Come on. So if they didn't go to the wrong tomb and Jesus didn't just faint up there and they didn't steal the body. And maybe Jesus is who he said he was, the way, the truth, and the life. And you don't get to the Father, you don't get to heaven, except through him. A lot of us have heard that. There's a second lie, though, when when you step into this relationship with Jesus... A lot of you get into that point where you're going, wow, okay, I I get this, there's some evidence here, I, I kind of understand this. The second lie is that you can live the Christian life on your own. You cannot live the Christian life on your own. Here's the big news flash. Here's why. You guys, we have heard half the gospel most of our lives. And half the gospel is Jesus Christ died for my sins. How many of you have heard that? Okay, I just told you, so you should probably raise the kid. No. Jesus Christ died for my sins. We, we, we've heard that. But that's half the gospel. And most of us hear half the gospel and we think that's the end. And so we go, okay, Jesus Christ died for my sins. And now I've got to spend the rest of my life paying him back. Jesus did this huge, amazing thing for me, so now I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing all the good things and avoiding all the bad things, and that is going to somehow let me in. It's, it's wrong. I, I, don't, I don't know about you, um, but I've been a Christian for, for many years now, lots of years. Um, I've messed up. Since I stepped into my relationship with Jesus. Anybody here um, sinned since you became a Christian? Would you raise your hand for me? Okay, cool. So really, you guys, we're not that good at pulling off the Christian life. 
I'm always dreaming and thinking about changing the world. I'd like to see us change the world. But the reality is, um, I can't even read my Bible for five minutes real consistently. I have trouble praying for you when I tell you I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to go change the world. I'm going to go be Jesus here and be Jesus there and light the whole world on fire for Jesus. And I can't even get my mind out of the gutter. I can't even dive into this. I mean, this is my story. We can't live this Christian life on our own. And unfortunately, when it's on our own, and that leaves us just so open when we're doing it on our own. Because the enemy, the devil will come at the opportune moment and dive right into your life and to my life when we've just blown it. This is his favorite timing. This is his favorite lie, by the way, to say that you can live the Christian life on your own. And he'll come in and begin with that long bony finger and the icky little whisper. He just kind of goes, hey, see, I told you you couldn't pull this off. I told you about this. You are never, ever going to let go of that stuff that is in your past. And we buy into the lie that says, I can do this on my own. Why? Open your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. Just several books from the end of the Bible there. Colossians chapter 1. Go to verse 27. Colossians 1.27, I heard this spoken on maybe three years ago, and it so radically redefined my Christian faith, and I just, some stuff that was brought out in that message floored me. I hope it does the same with you. Colossians 1.27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory is such a cool phrase because you're like, all right, I'm the, I'm falling short of the glory of God person over here. Remember me? That's fully me. It's fully you. It's probably more me than you, but I'm fully falling short of the glory of God. And, and then the glory of God's over here. And I so want that. So he has to make the initiation and come for me. Person of Jesus comes down. So now I see the hope of glory. I'm going, there's some hope. I'm not doing very good at pulling off the Christian life, but there's some hope. What's the hope? Well, just try harder. Is that what it says? The hope of glory, trying harder. You doing all the good things and avoiding the bad things. That's the hope of glory. No, it says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. You, And what floored me when I heard this message several years ago, the guy brought out, he said, do you realize that it says Christ in you and not Christ and you? You guys, one little word and it changes everything. I realize I've been living my whole Christian life, Christ and me, Jesus and me, like we're some tag team wrestling duo. I fight hard and go hard and then Satan drops kick me. I'm on the mat and I'm like, oh yeah, I do need you. Can you come in? Jesus jumps in. He does his deal. I get back up. I'm like, no, I'm good now. You can let it go. And then he takes off and I fight, fight, bam, back in the corner again. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, sorry. That's Jesus and you. 
Christ and you. The hope of you being a a, a person that glorifies God instead of a fall short of the glory of God person is Christ in you. Because Jesus is the only one that has successfully pulled off the Christian life perfectly. He was so good at it that they named the religion after him. (laughs) Jesus is, is, is... an amazing person, but he's also God, and he's the only one that can pull off the Christian life. And so half the gospel says, Jesus Christ died for my sins, but the whole gospel is, Jesus Christ died for my sins, but then he rose from the grave so that he could be alive in me and alive in you. Because God knew that you can't do the Christian life. He knew that you can't pull it off. It's not just difficult, it's impossible. And so, God devised this crazy plan where he takes the one who can't live the Christian life and says, I will put the one who can inside the one who can't so that the one who can't suddenly can live the Christian life. Christ in you. And so... This should generate a lot of discussions about how that looks and what that means. But I think this changes your Christian experience, not so much you trying anymore, but more about you dying, more about you surrendering, more about you just dialing in deeply to the person of Jesus Christ. I would go so far to say this, that if you're struggling with something right now, whether it's trying to stop something that's bad or not doing enough of the good, don't even try to stop the bad stuff. Don't even really try to do the good stuff because that's you on your own. But instead, dial in deeply to your relationship with Jesus. You will tap into the power source that is already inside of you if you've stepped into a relationship with Christ. You will tap into this Jesus who is, right now, Jesus is completely free from sexual addiction. Jesus is completely free from materialism. Jesus is completely free from lying. Jesus is completely free from anger. Jesus is completely free from any sin or temptation. And that person, that power, that God is alive in you. So stop trying. And start getting to know Him and His Word better. Whether that's on your own or in the context of a small group, which by the way, they are launching several here just this week. And after this is over, you need to go outside and sign up and connect with other people because it's not good enough for you to do life on your own, but to do it with other people as well. You can't do this Christian life thing on your own. But he can. Jesus can. At the end of Revelation, it gives this amazing picture. This totally cool picture of where all of history is driving toward. There's a moment where those that have that relationship with Jesus will be in heaven with him. And God's face will be giving off the light that is needed up in heaven 
And all of God's people will be there. And it makes this weird sort of phrase. It says that the name of Jesus will be on the people's foreheads. Not just that image is just so cool to me because it's not about Bob and Tony and Jennifer anymore. It's, it's about, whoa, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. It's not like, whoa, you were a big deal back there. I remember you. It's like, whoa, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And that's really what's supposed to be here. It's supposed to be about him and his power in and through you. And we're driving towards an eternity where it's really going to be that. And if you really want to step into the light, if you really want to escape, then you can't do it on your own. You get to heaven with the relationship with Jesus and you live out your Christian life by more connecting yourself with Jesus and his word. And the rest will be a natural byproduct. Can you imagine that moment where you don't have to try anymore? We're literally like his name, his very being will be tattooed onto you. Wouldn't that be cool if that were already the case? That if you had Jesus tattooed on you, that you were so dialed in and so close and so intimate with him, that it was as if his name were tattooed. I mean, how th- that would remind me every single day I woke up, and this is Sharpie, by the way, um, and uh, I would wake up and just look at that and go, okay, yeah, this right here, this whole deal right here, this is not belong to me. This belongs to him. His name's right here on it. I should be living for him. I should be about him. I should be walking with him. I should be consulting with him. I should be processing all my thoughts through him and all my actions through him and all my words through him. It's all about Jesus. And that's the power that I need to tap into and you need to tap into every single day, whether it's to live your Christian life or to get to heaven. And instead we go, I got the Jesus thing, but now I'm going to work. I got the Jesus deal, but... I'm going to go to school right now. And God's going, peel it back. Remember who you are. And remember what power is alive in you. Let's pray. Father, um, Just ask that you would speak to our hearts here in the next few moments, if you haven't done so already. Those of you in this room, with your eyes closed and heads bowed, some of you might be in here that um, never really heard this before. We've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus. You certainly maybe never made him the Lord of your life, handed over those keys. And maybe the voice of God spoken to you just to free you from a couple things. If that's you this morning and you're desiring to step into a relationship with Jesus for the first time, then you just need to let God know that right where you're at. And the sincerity of your heart and your words and your own words in this moment, that you would just let God know that here at this moment, you're handing over the keys of your life to Him. 
saying something like, God, please forgive me. I, I want this relationship with you. I believe that you are God. I believe you are who you said you are. And now I'm giving you control of my life. Just let him know that if that's you here this morning. And then I would ask one more thing. That if you're stepping into that relationship with Jesus this morning, that you would uh, let us know that on that comment card that was in your bulletin there. Just check off the deal and drop it off with us before you go. Those of you that already call yourself Christians, maybe there's just been a season here where you've been trying to do it on your own. And God's going, I want you to be my own. I don't want you to be on your own. Whether you uh, moved him over into shotgun or the back seat or kicked him out of the car a long time ago, maybe this morning is the morning where you reestablish that he's really driving. And so, Father, we just thank you so, so much for who you are and what you've done here in this place. We lift you high. In Jesus' name, amen. The cool part about when you're not on your own is that When Satan does come and try to bring up your past or your mistakes or whatever it might be, all you have to do is go, you want to talk about my past? Is that why you're here to point that bony finger at my past and my mistakes? And let's talk about my past. I was doing it on my own, but now I'm not on my own. And my past was taken care of by the God of the universe. So if you want to keep pointing that finger at me, then you got to go point it at him. And he won't do that. He will bail quickly. He is the weakest link. Goodbye. <laughs> you guys definitely get connected in a, in a small group as you head out today. You guys, we love you very much. Have a great, great week. We'll see you next week.